position. Affirmative. Negative. I am the milkman. My milk is delicious. Roger that. Okay, let's go. Welcome to the Best Linux Games Podcast. Go, go, go! The best Linux games, the best games available for the uh, GNU slash Linux operating system via the mechanism and distribution network known as Steam, brought to you by Valve. After 700,000 years, the Steam has come to Linux, and beyond that, it has come to Linux in the form of the egalitarian Linux-like platform, Steam, an open marketplace in which everyone, total meritocracy, everyone, regardless of size, amount of money, regardless of amount of developers, and prospective sales, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Saturday, and that means it's time for one thing. It's time for the podcast where the quality goes in before the name goes on. You're listening to the Best Linux Games Podcast, a companion piece to the uh, Steam group of the same name. Find us on Steam, you know. Uh, join us on Steam and friend me on Steam. My name is Scooky Sprite. I am your host. In case this is your first time here, uh, the ground rules for everything that we do are very simple. We have news. We have the latest titles that we are interested in. Of course, features, you know, like kind of in-depth looks or reviews. And then we have, of course, everyone's favorite, the deals. Uh, the best games that you can buy for as cheap as possible. If you join us on the group, our recommendations are curated with the sole criteria of It must run on Linux, and it must be really good. These are recommendations only, of course. Uh, not complete reviews, which generally will follow, um, especially once they get some other mofos on this show. And as always, the content that awaits you ahead may not be appropriate for members of all species, races, genders, classes, creeds, and especially might not be age or work appropriate. So, it begins. Let's get the Linux gaming on, bitches! Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome to episode number 260 of the Best Linux Games Podcast. Being recorded for you on this Saturday, the 19th of October, 2019. That would make it for our sequel friends. 2019, 10, 19 at 0811 hours. Well, uh, yeah, 811 in the morning. Pacific Coast time, left coast, coast with the most. That would make it. That's right. I will cue the sound effect. Ten years, man! That's right. That would make this our five-year anniversary episode of the podcast. Ivor, crack engineer Ivor Molina over there in the booth holding up the whiskey sign. You are fucking fired, Ivor. You fucked up that whole fucking thing. Ten! I know. Ten years! Five years. Five years. Not ten. Ten years. Ten! Five years, dude. Five years. Five-year anniversary. Wow. I have yeah. been stuck with this motherfucker for a long time. Cheers to you, Ivor. Ten years. Good. Where have you been for ten years? Did I fire you yet, Ivor? Ivor, you're fired. Ten years, man. Ten years. I can't fucking believe it. First of all, ten years. Told me ten five years ago. Ten. 
10 we would still years, pay them. 10 years. Um, I wasn't taking phone calls five years ago, to be honest. So I probably would have told you to go fuck yourself and that, that you need to leave me the fuck alone. Um, so yeah, let's get straight to our top stories and we'll talk more about the anniversary. We're not going to make a huge deal of it. Years, I man. One more time, I'm gonna fucking ten. Ten years. Ten. You are fired. Dude. Ten. Fucking years. Hit your ten years. Hit the bricks. Fuck face. Fuck or walk, and it's time for you to walk. All right. So let's get straight to our top stories. Um. Yes. Yeah, so our five year anniversary. That means, and this is literally to the day. Uh, October 19th of 2014 2014 to the present day 2019, 10, 19 October 19th, 2019 that is 52 weeks 52 episodes every year minus one episode ah, but take one kadam away for the Hebrew God whose arc this is minus one week we missed uh, one episode in, uh, in our first Two and a half months of the show. I want to say because it was New Year's Eve. I want to say we took New Year's Eve off our first year because I didn't think it would go on for this long. Otherwise, we'd be able to say in a row, "No shit," but we can't say that. Um, how do we get to two hundred and sixty? Because, and I, it took me a while to figure this out. We did one extra episode. We did one special episode for the release, a surprise release that happened after we posted that week's episode uh, about six hours later. Psychonauts got a full Linux port to absolutely no fanfare and no announcement. And I happened to run into it randomly. And so later that night, we did a supplementary episode of the Best Linux Games podcast. And between missing that one week for New Year's Eve, our first year, and making, not we weren't making up for it, this was like many years later, this was like three years later, uh, when the Psychonauts thing happened, we inadvertently corrected the show number. So 52 times 5 is 260. This is our 260th episode, our five-year anniversary. Full-on, legit. La what? La how? La... Ivor, you're fucking fired. Yeah, we're not going to make that big of a deal of it. Oh, wait, no, I guess we are. Because, okay, so this morning, once I realized, holy shit, you're only five once. And I started, like, looking at all of our games and all the podcasts that we've done. This was, like, four hours ago, thanks to great planning by Crack Engineer, who's now fired Ivor Molina, former engineer Ivor Molina. (coughs) I started putting together a list of momentous events that have happened because this podcast correlates directly with the history of Steam on Linux at least post uh, Valve's announcement of adopting Linux as the foundation for their Steam OS um, platform we have have we not come some fur piece since then <laughs> but exactly how f- good pickup Ivor Oh man, I'm gonna miss you. You're fired. Uh, more whiskey. How fur a piece we've come since then. Oh, the endless incest. Uh, but yeah, seriously, uh, since uh, we first started this show, we have 
seeing uh, the Oculus SDK 2 come out for Linux, then promptly abandon Linux support. Uh, we've seen the, the availability of titles just in sheer number go from 1,000 to 3,000. Uh, basically characterizes the first four years of this podcast. Uh, to the last year or so at 20,000 roughly more or less and we've seen Steam uh, release its own virtual reality platform we have seen AAA titles we have seen heroes and villains emerge, we have seen Feral Interactive uh, championing the Linux uh, platform, you know, for commercial reasons obviously, as a third you know, like a third party uh, after the development and publisher uh, pipeline uh, to provide us with some of the greatest Linux ports of the best most recent games over the course of the last five years, and I'm not reading from notes here I mean, because I, I just have this giant list of shit that's like actually, now it's in front of me, but we've seen over the course of the last five years AAA titles, like brand new AAA titles uh, go from a waiting period of anywhere between one to infinite years it started out as infinite years down to one eventually all the way to where they are now where we can play in many cases the latest best game although lately there are dark clouds on the horizon but we can play them in line on release day thinking of uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider other games like that, as are um, other operating system using friends. Uh, without uh, we have big news this week, by the way. Uh, you know, before I get carried away with our top stories and nostalgia, one of our favorite games from the very earliest days of this podcast, and one of the most important games that I've played in my life, in my adult life at least, um, not necessarily for so much of it in terms of it being a game, but because it did spawn one of my biggest free and open source software uh, development projects, uh, Ardo Radio Project, uh, eventually known as Radio Control Room, which is now in a cryogenic fugue hiatus, um, Beat Hazard 2, the sequel to Beat Hazard, the legendary Beat Hazard, is out, came out last week, and we'll be talking more about that in our in our uh, in the rest of the show, but our feature this week and I don't know if I'm going to stick to it because we we have limited weeks left in the year and I know right now it seems like the dead period in terms of like the release cycle and there, I mean I I plan on doing just a normal show this week, I was going to do Beat Hazard 2, The Forest Pavlov VR and I was just going to tell you some stories about those games but uh just thinking about the momentous nature of five fucking years, what we have seen, what we have covered on this show from our first game was Natural Selection 2 that was the first game that we ever bought and the first game that we ever bought without anyone else ever recommending it to us in terms of on Steam on Linux was uh, Mirror Moon EP um and like if you just go through 
our playlist are, you know, the games that we've played. If you go through, um, I only got through seven pages of the website. It is like 28 pages now or 29 pages of episodes. That is just fucking unbelievable to me. Um, I have one page in a sketchbook here of just like the I'll just read them to you. You know, we had Natural Selection 2, we had Counter-Strike uh, Global Operations, um, Civilization 4. That was like week three of this podcast. Uh, and that goes back to the Trine 2 era, along with Gemini Rue, which is a fantastic point-and-clicker adventure game, uh, up to Rogue Legacy, which was the first game I gifted Matt Hartley when he was doing the Geek and the Gamer. Um... Rogue Legacy was a great side-scrolling platformer procedurally generated Metroidvania game where your hero upon death, you only had one life, um, then spawned another hero along a long lineage of a family lineage inheriting characteristics of previous heroes who had gone before, and so it was kind of a mix-and-match genetic game. My favorite was when I had the dyslexic guy who was colorblind, so everything was upside down and backwards, and in black and white, who farted constantly. He had, like, excessive flatulence. And, uh... Dyslexia was really dangerous because if you guys on your left, you go to attack them on the left, sometimes you attack them on the right. Uh, that was Rogue Legacy. Then to the next era, you know, I'm just arbitrarily calling them eras. Transistor, they saw our faces, they know our names. Um, Witcher 2, which was a major moment. Um, Roundabout and Apotheon, that same era. And then X Plane 10, which changed my life significantly. Strike Suit Zero, flying in outer space as a uh, as a spaceship, then transforming into a giant mechanized fucking robot in outer space. Good times, good times. Robot Roller Derby Disco Dodgeball, which was episode 29. Uh, and then subsequently, uh, about four episodes later, we, we aired our interview we got to spend an hour with the developer of that game. That was our first and only developer interview in five years. That sucks. And Interstellar Marines, which to me marked a new era as well. I wonder if they're ever going to finish that game, or if it is finished, or if anyone plays it anymore, because that game was so disturbingly realistic in terms of its depiction of first-person shooter in a tactical um, real-time multiplayer setting in a far-flung science fiction based with realistic weapons setting in which stealth and concealment were a primary importance. Um, It was like one of the first games other than Metroid Prime where I remember seeing the raindrops and knowing that we were outside because of the raindrops as they fell on our heads-up display. Um, Aru's Awakening, the first game I ever recorded a video of and actually had a mug box of me ever, and that was back when we used to use Voco Screen and then Cheese to get our mug box on there. Aru's Awakening was the first game that I ever played and recorded video of me playing where the first seconds of the game made me go, <gasps> we're in the game. Um, then there was Beat Hazard that first year, and then, ah! for the awesome and Dragon Robot Pornography Reassembly, Axiom Verge You Must Help Elsa Nova Dying Light, a game that we've been talking about a lot lately that was June 2015 episode 34 
Freedom Planet, one of the best side-scrolling platformers ever made. It is a love letter to Sonic the Hedgehog and is a game that I heartily recommend you buy immediately. Middle Earth, Shadow of Mordor, a game that Blaster PR and I were just talking about last night in Steam Chat. Um, and a fantastic game, one of the best games that I've played on Linux. Uh, the refu- the announcement of Steam's new refund policy, it was new back then, uh, this changed the whole fucking complexion of the podcast and of the game industry, and especially of the way in which we relate to it, you know, via Steam. Refund policy was covered in episode 35, June 27th, 2015. And it's amazing, and it's something that we benefit, you know, from continuing to this day, of course. Our Episode uh, 36, next episode, Ark Survival Evolved. I mean, we have covered a, how far a piece we have come since then. Sky Rogue, a game that if you have not heard me talk about it, you have to go buy Sky Rogue, or just go look at it. Sky Rogue is Star Fox, um, but in a roguelike setting with upgradable airplanes, and in an airplane setting. Um, in a modern warfare airplane setting with polygonal cell-shaded um, chunky models. is a fantastic game. One of my favorite games that I've played. Victor Vran, then Feist. Feist, the side, you're a fuzzball, side-scrolling fuzzball game. Mercenary Kings, a game that, I mean, we gave it like three episodes worth of attention, but we haven't talked about it in so long. Mercenary Kings is Metal Slug, the entire franchise. Smashed into a role-playing game. It's still a side-scrolling platforming shooter, but with persistent role-playing game elements, unlocks, upgrade abilities, weapon customizations, craftable weapons, and crafting, and insane animations, and is one of the best games. You know, blah. You probably never heard of it. It's called Mercenary Kings. That was from 2015 too. Um, Shadow Warrior. That was a huge flashpoint, huge momentous moment in uh, our coverage of Linux gaming because that was a game I never got to finish. I still have never beaten Shadow Warrior. This is not the original Shadow Warrior um, reissue. This is the reboot. This is like the super flashy one. Get down with your wang, bitches. And then eventually, in more recent, over the last 18 months, I think, maybe two years, we got to play Shadow Warrior 2 the day it came out. Almost, I think. Um, we were only available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and our website, and I just found out that our website were not actually technically available through our website, at least not through the links. I, I have to check the RSS feed. But, um, we went available on iTunes, and RSS, and our website, and SoundCloud on August of 2015. Um, XCOM Enemy Unknown, the real legitimate, even though it's a reboot of the entire franchise, it is actually the sequel to XCOM 2. Greetings, Commander. Uh, then Broforce, which is a huge touchstone, and Hard West and Saints Row 4 that year on New Year's Eve of 2015, uh, they released Saints Row 4, a port of it for Linux. Fuck yes! And we've been benefiting from it ever since. And th- that's just the first, like, seven pages out of, like, 30 fucking pages on our website. So, maybe we'll do the next batch next week, you know, and try to space it out, because I'll try to milk this for all it's worth, I guess. Might as well. Might as well, might as well. But, uh, you know, 
10 years, man, no, five years. It's pretty impressive. So, we do have a new and noteworthy this week, but we're just going to wrap all of this up into one top story and try to get out of here in under an hour. What do you say? Sound good? The atmosphere of the room turns against me. A growing collective impatience where should be a haven of indulgence. Don't keep fucking saying that to me! So yeah, I want just one last thing about the five-year anniversary thing. I want to thank every uh, one of our listeners all of our fans, I really wish that we had, um, when we started out five years ago, a lot of the capabilities that we have now, like, I mean, now I can live stream via Twitch, you know, the actual gameplay, and you can see me react and stuff, um, to say nothing of our Discord server, which allows for unprecedented interaction across the board. I mean, all you have to do to talk to me is join the Discord server. And the link to that is always in our show blurbs, um, and in every one of our live streams. Uh, and it's been, you know, a pleasure, a privilege, an honor, uh, and whatever. Um, really, like, it has been a, quite an amazing and fun trip. Um, meeting so many interesting, different people from all types of um, industries and, and levels of experience and uh, countries places, etc, etc, etc all brought together by, you know, shared collective love of the GNU slash Linux operating system, which you and I, all of us know and love yes um, so, let's get straight to the games, because this is called the Best Linux Games Podcast um, I wonder if we will do another if, if we'll go through all of the flashpoints, I, I, I could do it, I mean, it only took me like 45 minutes to put together that that rough list um, this morning. But, uh, so in terms of our new and noteworthy, we have one new and noteworthy. It's called Disco Elysium, and it is an open-world adventure game uh, in a point-and-click kind of style. It has a really cool uh, visual tone. It has a, a unique Distinctive, distinctive art style. That's what I'm looking for. Those are the words I'm looking for. Um, <coughs> I bought it. I haven't had a chance to really play it. I tried to technically to do just a quick technical demo of it, and it seems to have the uh, Media Foundation bug. But I read on ProtonDB that it can be overcome, so that's good. I but I don't know that that I don't know that for a fact. In my experience, um, so far, I can't. I can either confirm nor deny. If the game runs on Linux, although ProtonDB users are fucking generally rock solid, pretty good, and there are numerous gold blah, and it dovetails nicely with our MF uh, install GitHub uh, mentioned last week. I, you know, we'll see if, uh, (laughs) excuse me, um, we'll see if uh, how well those bear out, but it's 40 bucks, it's $39.99. An expensive gamble for me, considering that I'm going fucking flat broke right now. But that's okay. Uh, we'll be fine. Um, but I did buy it, and I am excited to play it. It looks interesting. I played through uh, the first couple of dialogues without any uh, visual information. And uh, <laughs> they were hilarious. And I'm not sure if the lack of visual information is due to the fact that you start the game unconscious, talking to the void itself inside of your own mind or if 
it just wasn't showing me anything. So I don't know. I can't help you out there. But Disco Elysium. I have a bone to pick with Disco Elysium, by the way, because it, it, it they use the word disco, and I use the word disco all the time. And that pisses me off. And so I'd like to announce here now a blood feud with the developers of Disco Elysium. I'm coming for you, bitches. You're going to die you're going to die screaming my name. You're going to look into my eyes. You abandoned my hatred. <laughs> Give me the cuttlefish. All right. So now let's talk about we're going to save the beat hazard two for the end of the episode. We're going to bury the lead in essence so we can get to the forest and Pavlov VR. Pavlov VR, I just have some more stories from the other night that are funny that I thought I might share because it's amazing. It, it bookends very nicely um, the beginning of gaming on Linux. And I do call it the beginning because I mean, there was NetHack, Tux Racer, and that was it for forever. For forever. And then Valve adopted Linux as SteamOS's base platform. And, uh, bam, 1,000 games within a few months, and then 3,000 within maybe the first two and a half, three years. Three and a half years, and then bam, Proton, 21,000 games, ostensibly. Say, like, only 15,000 of them run. That's still five times the amount of games that we had before. And now virtual reality runs great on Linux with the Valve Index. It's just, it's a perfect bookend. But first we're going to talk about a game called The Forest. Now, The Forest does not run in VR. And it is not a new game. The Forest came out. Fuck you, Ivor. You're fired. You didn't pull the fucking release date like I asked you to. Thank you, Ivor. This is yet another reason why you are so fucking fired. Came out April 30th of 2018. This is not a review. I'm just featuring it because I'm going to be playing a lot of The Forest over the next, over the coming days. It's $19.99. It does not support VR in its current iteration on Linux. It is a fantastic game. I've only played two hours of it. But it has multiplayer built in. I have not tried the multiplayer. Although Gap and Stance says he wants to play with me and he has a crew, an ongoing concern of people that, uh, you know, blah. But I want to learn how to play the game a little bit first. And I have learned how to play the game a little bit first. So the premise of The Forest is that you are, it's very much like Lost, like the TV show. You are, the game starts, you're on a plane, you have a little boy sitting next to you. You take his survival book. He's evidently your son or your nephew or something. He's important to you. He's traveling with you. And then there's some turbulence. And the plane crashes. And you wake up in the forest. After you see someone covered in blood, naked to the waist. Like a cross between um, an 18th century... Uh, American Indian Native American Indian like from the French and Indian Wars uh, crossed with Mola Ram from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade picking up the boy and then disappearing in between flashes of lightning and then you pass out and then you wake up on the 
You wake up in the plane. If you the portion of the plane broke broke in half, but there were survivors, and it's day, and you're in the forest, and you have the survival the little kid's survival book, which serves as both your crafting menu as well as like your tutorial thing. And it's pretty brilliant. You click on... It's pretty brilliant in a lot of ways, but it's also pretty frustrating in others because it can be difficult to remember which items are under which pages. And also, it doesn't tell you essential elements about the actual game. It is a survival guide. And just like any survival situation, even if you have a survival guide and all the equipment in the world, um, knowing what to do and how to do it is a process of trial and error, experimentation and failure, etc, etc, etc. So I, so there you are and it's a first person uh, shooter style game. Uh, I was hoping that there would be tree punching at the beginning because it is a survival game. It's a survival game with horror elements to it and it, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time at all, you know me, I hate scary games and uh, the forest only started to run on Linux um recently, I can't tell you when exactly, but recently and even though it was on my like list of games that I must play um, the the fact that like people said horror uh, scared me because I'm a total fucking pussy when it comes to scary games, so that and other factors prevented me from playing it, but anyway, so there I've been playing it now and I am going to keep playing it because it is fucking rad I mean, really rad. Like, really rad. So, everything that you need to know is not necessarily in the survival book. But most of what you need to get started is in there. Like, right now, I need to get a turtle shell. But anyway, I have, like, a whole fucking little camp built up. I have storage placement for logs. I'm about ready to build my first cabin. My small first small cabin. Um, and it's an enjoyable game but so I'm trucking around and there's all this luggage and all these dead people and it's daylight and it's fucking gorgeous it is verdant it is the definition of verdant greenery it has a uh, a persistent day and night cycle so I start building a uh, lean to and shit and then I build a fire. And I can't open up any of... Oh, we have a an axe from the plane. Like a survival axe from the plane. Which you'll use to cut down trees, shrubbery, to gather leaves and sticks. You use your hands to gather rocks. You'll eventually build a sled to gather logs, which is you know, chopping down real trees and then really gathering logs. You will use it to kill deer by surprising them after lying in wait. You will struggle to keep yourself fed and hydrated. Luckily so far, I have not exhausted the entire entirety of the plane's resources. My second gameplay session, I realized that you could break open the luggage that you find by hitting it with your axe. And that has resulted in a dearth of painkillers, which uh, help, which restore your health. And I've killed a lot of the natives. 
What natives you I hear you cry? The spooky natives. The spooky natives who've taken the survivors. Excuse me, more whiskey. See, I don't know where the fuck we are. But it's somewhere between like a coniferous jungle and like a jungle. I don't know how big the map is. I don't know where on earth we're supposed to be or where we were flying to or who the kid is or who I am or who I'm supposed to be. I know that we have to survive. So it's jarring when you're looting like part of the fuselage of the plane or it's even more jarring when you're out in the streams or the pond scum or simply just in the forest in the forest deep in the forest the forest is deep in every way like in every direction it is deep and all of it is useful it's like a buffet it's like a, it's like a non-movable feast all of it is usable for you and so you're doing whatever task you think you should be doing and you think you hear something And you make so much noise, but it's all very specific noises. It's one of the things that this game and Seven Days to Die share in common. I could play Seven Days to Die and know what I had done just from the last sound thing that I had heard. The forest takes it to a new level, though. Like, there's a certain sound that sometimes happens when you pick up a log, like a human-sized log, and throw it over your shoulder Sometimes, like, it sounds like your clothes might catch on a branch or something. It's like a little zippy sound. I didn't hear the zippy sound. And I don't think many people will hear the zippy sound the first time they meet the natives. What they'll hear... And I was... Thank God I was drunk and stoned and prepared. Like, I knew that, like, this game is supposed to be scary. Otherwise, I just would have quit the game. Because what you hear when you first meet the natives and most times when you meet the natives is laughter. It's a distant, panting, kind of taunting, mocking, quiet, snickering menacing evil laughter now it is entirely possible and I'm open to this possibility I doubt that it's what's going to happen that the natives are in fact innocent creatures who by virtue of geographic isolation or you know located in wherever the fuck we are in these remote woods this forest it's not a wood it's not a wood it is a forest is a dense forest that, you know, by virtue of their evolution or whatever as feral creatures, they've developed their own rituals that are unique to them that they are entirely peace-loving creatures and that they should not be killed in fact, I cannot think of a single time 
and I've had many interactions with them where they have physically laid hands on me before I have hit one of them but I am almost positive that they are not friendly (laughs) especially well for a reason I'll tell you but so you hear this laughter and this is true of every time you meet them not every time some of them have different behavioral patterns and attributes and characteristics and skills but generally when you hear that laughter it means that you're already surrounded and there are like these two main types that you'll meet early on These this is spoiler free there are these jumping laughing hyena women who are kind of hard to hit because they will leap right up into your face and then they'll just fucking leap away and they're very fast and they they will laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and then other times there are these like associates of the laughing hyena women who are kind of like laughing hyena guys but I haven't killed anywhere near as many of them as I've killed of the women So that happens. And then regardless of whatever happened, and this is all just like in-game, it's all just like, you know, you're just doing it. At night, your fire becomes a liability. It evidently designates you as a target for them to come find you. I've slept through the night with a campfire cooking my meat um, but I have not stayed up the entire night cooking my meat. A separate adventure from the forest that will be illustrative of the game's structure. Your goal, of course, is to find, I think his name is Timmy, the kid that has been taken. But you have a to-do list that evolves over time uh, as you complete different goals and shit, like, you know, create a lean-to, blah, blah, blah. Those are the only survival-based goals. The game doesn't give a fuck what you do pretty much after that, from my perspective. I've played two hours of The Forest. So we will we'll, we'll pick up our story on, like, day two. Okay? So day two. Wake up, I'm starving. I eat a snack bar that I pilfered from the airplane because at that point I didn't know how to cook food yet and decide to set out away from my campsite and away from the plane. My campsite is just north of the plane on top of a hill because I'm smart or stupid. So as best as I can, I try to head in one direction And I arrive at again, like an American Indian type movable campsite. No longhouses, but uh, teepees, definite teepees. And definite human skulls. 
and luggage, pilfered luggage that had been drugged there by the natives. The natives, by the way, are bone white. Pretty much bone white, and they are terrifying. They're humanoid. But they are naturally fast, and they know the woods, and they're pretty smart. They know the forest. So I'm there, I'm, you know, I just come out of this tree line and I'm standing in one of their villages. So I proceed to kill the men and then I kill the women. It's hard to tell if they're attacking you or not. I don't know. I know that they took Timmy. And so like all great explorers, I proceed with a maximum of caution leaning towards wholesale murder as long as I can hold out. I do not feel that these people intend good things to me. Now, it's ironic because if you look at at the history of people in survival situations, which if you've not ever heard this if you've not ever heard this podcast before, you know that the one book you need to read, as I've said many, 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 many times, is Edward Leslie's Desperate Journeys of Abandoned Souls, which is the complete history of castaways, mariners, and uh, shipwreck survivors, plane crash survivors, and other people in desperate survival situations, all of which are factual. And it took him 20 years to write that book. It is a fantastic book. It's one of the best books I've ever read in my entire life. There's a story in there about uh, a guy in a similar situation Although it's true, it's an amazing story. Uh, Because he survives. He gets home. But the cannibals that he meets interact with him. They're curious about him. And he's curious about them. And they adopt him eventually as part of the tribe. There is no such cultural cross-exchange in the forest. Eventually, I sustained too much damage to retain consciousness from all the fighting, and I black out. I awake. Mere moments later, maybe 20 minutes later, tops. Probably 15 seconds later. My arms are above my head. I am being carried. I see, in Miller's Crossing-esque relief, the sky above the merciless branches of the forest as they drag me to, then I black out again. I wake up Lara Croft style upside down, tied by my ankles in some sort of cave. I cut myself free. I discover some of the survivors who have now since expired amongst the masses of ichor and bone and campfires and cook fires and ritualistic totems in the subterranean hell. I explore the subterranean hell because I'm stoned as fuck and do not care. I use my Bic lighter as a light source because there's no natural light down here. Expecting at any moment to get ambushed by the sound of that laughter 
or a swift blow to the back of the head. I escape. I escape and I return home to the campsite because the campsite is like a forever beacon. You don't really need a compass. At least not yet that I know of. You do have a compass. Eventually you find a compass. I loot the shit out of those caves. I killed a couple of more of the natives. Found passenger manifests, pieces of paper, etc. And then ran. It was dusk. Or no, maybe it was night. I can't remember. I get back to the campsite. I sleep. This gave me newfound. This emboldened me in terms of the game. Because I thought, oh, well, they'll just drag me off to the, you know, thing if they kill me. No, it appears that, and this is just from my experience, because later on that day, with the next 15 minutes, I decided to confront them when they uh, came to confront me around the plane, because they know where you are, they know where you live. Which is disturbing. I decided to kill... I decided to get overly ambitious and overconfident and they killed me. And that was the end. So you only live twice, I guess, in terms of the forest. I'm not sure about that. But, uh... It's amazing. I wish that they explained to you how to cook food. I will explain to you now how to cook food. After you kill a deer and you skin the deer, which is a skill that you evidently possess innately, and then butcher the deer, which is also evidently a skill you possess innately because it's not covered in the survival manual, and there are many other things you can kill and skin innately. You can take that meat back to your camp, and you can build a drying rack, or you can just simply light your campfire and hold the meat you select the meat from your inventory the inventory selection and crafting thing is very very interesting in the game you have a crafting mat fuck it we'll save beat hazard for next week cause I've given you a good beat hazard too one thing about beat hazard too though is that you do need to launch it with the uh, start property of hyphen you know so dash capital L I N U X inside of Steam. That's all we'll say about Beat Hazard. Other than it lets, it's Beat Hazard 2 is as good, if not better in every way than Beat Hazard 1, and Beat Hazard 1 changed my life. So let's go back to our narrative of the forest. So there you go. There's 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 Beat Hazard 2. We're done with basically the show. I will finish my little narrative of the forest and what makes it so exceptional. How to cook food in the forest. Press I to open your crafting mat, which just looks like a blanket laid out on the forest floor. It is a hypothetical blanket. It doesn't really exist, so you don't have to deploy the blanket and then pick up the blanket, etc. Arrayed around the blanket is all the shit that you are carrying in your personal inventory, and it can be quite a lot, because you actually have a backpack 
that you got from the plane. Um, it is part of you. I don't know if it can be upgraded or not. Um, but it is part of you. You didn't have to find it or anything. So you can carry a bunch of shit with you. There are limits to every type of, of thing that you can carry in terms of quantity. Like I, th- <laughs> I think it's like a 12 pack of soda is the, you can't pick up any more soda after you pick up picked up after you've already picked up 12 of them. This also doubles as the place where you can equip things, but more importantly, so to cook food, by the way, you start a campfire and then you open up your inventory, you select the meat and you equip it. And then when you go to the fire with it in your hand, by the way, don't set yourself on fire. I set myself on fire several times and it is difficult to put yourself out. Stop, drop, and roll does not necessarily apply in this game. Uh, When you're holding the meat, though, it'll let you, it'll give you another action. Everything is either C or E. E is generally to pick up things. C is generally to put things in something else or to interact with things. So, like, if you're hanging up meat on the drying rack, you press C. If you're taking meat off the drying rack, you press E. If you're putting logs in the log sled, you press E. No, you press C. To take them out, you press E. So, if you're standing near the fire with the meat equipped in your hand, it'll automatically stack hypothetically in your hand, you just press C and you can put all the meat on the fire and then as it becomes done you can eat it by pressing E and taking it off the fire so the coolest things about the forest apart from the fucking unbelievable visual beauty, it is as pretty if not prettier than Shadow of the Tomb Raider which has the best screenshot that I've taken of any game on Linux ever, and it's me versus the Jaguar and that was in-game, that's an amazing fucking screenshot, how fur a piece we've come but the amazing thing about the forest is that it feels super real kind of the way that Ark felt super real And all of the sound, all of the pressing concerns, it is a very much a survival-based game. And I love me some survival-based games. The natives are terrifying. Especially at night. So, the last game, I ventured too far away from the campsite. By the way, you can save at the campsite in single-player. Whenever you want. Venture too far away from the campsite looking for a river. Because I need some place that can give me fresh water. And specifically, I need turtles so I can make a rain catcher. And there was an afternoon thunderstorm. And I got a lot of sticks. And I picked up a lot of rocks. And I harvested a lot of chicory. I killed a deer and got a lot of meat. Maxed out my meat, maxed out my sticks, maxed out my chicory, maxed out my marigold, maxed out my leaves. Well, you can't max out your leaves. But, you know, I I was maxed out. And I realized it's getting dark. Well, whatever. There's a deer. Let's kill a deer. So I kill the deer. 
And it's not just getting dark, it is actually really dark now. And the forest at night is not a place that you want to be. And they found me. They found me and chased me and hunted me like a pack. And I was still under operating at that point under the uh, misguided conception that if they killed me that I would wake up, you know, in their little fuck cave of cannibalism. No, they killed me and I was dead. That's the end of the game. So it's a roguelike. Which makes it very interesting. It checks off a lot of boxes for me in terms of like super compelling game. And the visual, you will not believe how pretty this game is. And it's intense and it's you have to control your fear. It's funny to hear me say that, but just pretend that you're invincible. And that it's your island now. Or you're wherever the fuck you are now. It's your forest now. Very glad that this game runs on Linux via Proton. Um, and then in terms of Pavlov VR, the other night, uh, and this is just a real quick thing because we already covered Beat Hazard. I, but I, I, I think, I think, I think we covered everything that I would like to say in a fifth anniversary show because we're never going to have another fifth anniversary show. I don't know if we'll have a fucking sixth anniversary show. Um, five years of Linux is a long time, but uh, in terms of Pavlov VR. The other night I was playing for, uh, I wanted to show, uh, Jesse some stuff, uh, on the Twitch stream, uh, about, uh, Arc Machinae, the giant mech game in VR that I love so well. And, uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, let me show you some Pavlov VR after I was done demoing that for them. And I jumped on online and I discovered two new game modes. Because, like, Pavlov VR is, like, almost like an open fucking world. It has workshop compatibility. So people have made other game modes that are, like, extraneous to the, um, what you would think that normal Pavlov VR would be. One where you start on a platform and then leap with a parachute in a deathmatch fashion and you, it takes 30 seconds to fall all the way into the map and you can steer your parachute and stuff, it's very cool um, and then you're in a deathmatch and you have to find weapons on site procurement in like a city it's not as detailed or as pretty as um the main Pavlov VR deathmatch maps, but it is exceptional and you find yourself really leaning around corners there and really considering what the fuck is happening and it's all wrapped up in this candy colored um, dome, a red dome very similar to the culling that is perpetually enclosing on all of you, ultimately forcing no matter what, either you die outside the dome by getting electrocuted to death or as everything shrinks only one can survive the other that was amazing and that's you know and it works great and it's seamless you know you just join that server and 
and pulls down the map and bam, you're in virtual reality leaping out of, you know, what is ostensibly a plane, but it's really just a flat surface. It's a plane, but it's really just a plane geometrically. Um, and you're looking at all these other motherfuckers who are flipping you off and they're fucking going back and forth and trying to gauge how fast you're descending, where you're gonna land and blah 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 and all the weapon locations are fixed. It is really interesting. The other funny thing that happened and I'll close with this was I ended up on a server with where they had misconfigured the server somehow to be a deathmatch but with teams and those two things are mutually exclusive. So all the human players were on one team and there was no one on the other team, not even bots. And so we all just started killing each other at spawn. And when I say killing each other at spawn, I mean like the second the match started, everyone's dead. (laughs) And it was hilarious to just yell at these guys and get killed by these guys and I, I blew a couple heads off. Um... Pavlov VR is fantastic, and I really hope that Contractors, uh, which is the uh, a sensible Pavlov VR killer, f- uh, which is available for Windows, but does not currently run. I haven't tested it out in, like, oh, three weeks now. Um, does not ostensibly run on Linux, but hopefully it will. The VR experience on Linux is still head and shoulders above any of the other VR headsets that I've owned, and the... Uh, Steam VR, although right now I can't pull up the dashboard off of my controllers, which is really weird. I can't pull it up. So, like, I have to, it's a big frustrating mess uh, to launch a game, but once you're in a game, it's great. Um, And so, there you go. There's our five-year anniversary episode. Uh, Again, thank you all to our listeners. Thank you to all of our listeners um, and fans and supporters and etc. Um, Thank you, special thank you to Ivor Molina, undead Ivor Molina. He's rotting very well. He, you look. Have you been using that plexiderm shit I keep seeing on TV, Ivor? Well, anyway, that'll do us. I will see you as ever next Saturday or next weekend, actually. You know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, be sure to check out the forest. Be sure to join us on our Discord and check out a uh, check out our Twitch stream, find us on Twitch friend us on Twitch, and if you have any uh, I, I, someone yelled at me uh, two weeks ago got any uh, thing you want to say to me, any tips or anything like that, any hot show things, anything you want to hear covered on the show or whatever, can't promise you that you'll ever hear anything that I don't want to cover, in fact I can promise you that you won't um, but I'm open to suggestions as, as ever uh, hit me. The best way to get a hold of me is on Twitter, if not via our Discord. Because some people, it's crazy. There are some people. This is not for those types of people. This is for everyone who is not one of those types of people. It has surprised me over the last year since we've had the Discord server up. Eh, nine months, yearish. How many people on Twitch are Twitch only? Like they will not friend you on Steam. They will not tell you their Steam IDs. And they hate Discord because Discord saves everything for forever. Um, and they're very privacy aware and God bless them. I, I can not only appreciate that perspective, I, you know, I, I try to live according to my own personal limits in terms of the privacy implications of everything I do. 
But uh, the best way to get a hold of me, especially, you know, at any time of day, is via Twitter at Vegas Rider, V E J S W R I T. Whoa. I'm not even stoned or drunk. V E G A S W R I T E R. Vegas Rider. Cheers and let's, uh, you know, let's hope that it's Excelsior. Where have you been for 10 years? Five years, ma'am. 10 years, years, man. 10 Next week, later days. Now you listen, and now you listen, for you're going to be a meek little housewife with horn rimmed spectacles. And you're going to stay away from men and juke joints and booze and pinball machines, and you're going to wear a skirt and low heeled shoes, and you're going to wear a girdle, and especially a girdle. Four or five times. A good idea. Four or five times. Hi there. There is delight in doing things right. Four or five times. It is I. E.B. Farm. Maybe I'll cry. I'll get you a drink. And if I die, I'm gonna cry four or five times. Do you like to play? We like to play. I like you. We like to sing. It only runs on Linux. We like to go. Yaddy yaddy yo. Four or five times. We're gonna have such fun. Bebop one. You're becoming hysterical. Bebop two. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Bebop three. Yaddy yaddy. Four or five times. Matt Damon. Burn everything incriminating, including this building. Burn all the White House pets, and then yourselves. Burn yourselves first. Ten years! Ten years! Ten! Ten years! Ten years! Boy, this is fucking ponderous, man. Ponderous, fucking ponderous. There is no Windows version of weaponized chess. Boy, this is fucking ponderous, man. Ponderous, fucking ponderous. It only runs on Linux. It's not a problem. You alienated part of America. I alienated crazy people. I like it very much. It is I, E.B. Farm. You're becoming hysterical. I'm here. I'm there. I'm fucking everywhere. I'm the Eggman. The best Linux games podcast is brought to you by Blue Wizard is about to die. Now available for the first time as an ebook on Amazon.com. To subscribe to the podcast using a Linux-based podcatcher like Podracer, or to see our YouTube gameplay videos, please visit www.bestlinuxgames.com. Also, join our Steam community group, Best Linux Games, Friends Cookie Sprite, and follow him on Twitter at VegasWriter. BLGP is also brought to you by the Radio Control Room Project. For details, please visit www.rcrproject.com or rfihc.com. Zig thanks you. For great justice.